Thank you for the redemptive power of your son Jesus and the work he is doing in our hearts and lives. And the grace that calls us upward and empowers us to move with you, Lord, in places we could never move under our own power. But you have given us power through the blood of Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. We can walk with you. And uh, Lord, we pray today for faith to do that. We pray today for revelation to understand what it means to walk with you. Lord, to engage with you, with your heart, with the resources of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God so that we actually walk in your spirit, in your grace, for your glory, for your kingdom, and for your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so um, we're talking this week about true life. Our title is True Grace, True Life. And that subject, true life, there's a lot to it. And we've got about 45 minutes to cover it today. So I want to warn you in advance that there's a lot of content. I don't want to blow you away with all the content that we're going to cover. We're going to cover a lot of territory, but I want you to keep one thing in mind. And that is, true life is about aligning your heart with Jesus. So you can live for Jesus and live for the people Jesus died for. So when we begin to talk about the nitty-gritty of what that looks like, keep in mind at the, at the bottom of all this stuff is a, an intentional alignment of your heart with Jesus. And from that place of alignment with Jesus, everything else flows really naturally in your life through the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to be covering today. Um, you know, there is a lifestyle in Christ that is true, and there's a lifestyle that people who are Christians sometimes live that is not true. It's false. How many people realize that that is a dynamic in Christianity? There's a, there's a true lifestyle, and there's a false lifestyle. And, and no real Christian wants to live a false life. We all want true life. We, we want the real thing. I don't know anybody who's a, 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 an honest, real Christian who does not want the real thing. And yet it's a struggle for a lot of people. We know it's a struggle. I mean, mo most of us have struggled ourselves at some point if we're not even still struggling right now at this very moment. Why is that? Have you ever, you know, just said, why is this so hard for me? The key is spending time with God. It really is. That's the key. Did you know when you're away from God's presence, your heart sort of curdles like milk left out on a counter for a few days? That's really, it just gets gross. So if you can just see your heart as something that, the presence of God maintains your heart in a good state. And when you move away from the presence of God, there's a curdling that starts taking place immediately. And the longer you stay away, the worse it gets. So you just want to stay in God's presence. There is no substitute for time spent in the presence of God. There is no substitute. You know why that is? You know why there's no substitute for time spent in the presence of God? Because there's no one like God. There, there is, there's no substitute for God. And so time spent in his presence is, is absolutely irreplaceable in your life. When we talk about true life, that's at the very foundational level of true life right there. 
God designed true life for humans so it only works when you are actively spending time with God. And that is why so many Christians struggle with sin. You, you can't just go out and try to not sin. You really cannot do that. Believe me, I've tried. It doesn't work. It's doomed from the start. And I can tell you today, if that's what you are wrestling with right now, this is the key issue in your life. What we're talking about today. You cannot get rid of sin by staring at it. The more you stare at it, the more you do it. Um, but when you're back in God's presence again, he starts realigning your heart back with his heart. And that's what has to happen to be able to live true life. True life is about aligning your heart with Jesus so you can live for Jesus and live for the people Jesus died for. And so let's read now in 1 Peter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Pause right here. These are the very things that will start bubbling up in your heart when you get away from God's presence. So when he tells you to lay these things aside, there's another, there's a flip side to that. You can't just lay that aside in a neutral environment without pressing into the presence of God. Because without, the, without an active pressing into the presence of God, these things are just going to rise up because you have flesh. You have flesh. And flesh is nasty. And, and you're, you died with Christ on the cross and you're to reckon yourself dead to him. But what, what is, if that verse says reckon yourself dead to him, what else does it say? But alive to God. Okay, so it's, it's dead to sin, dead to the flesh, dead to your old man, but alive to God. At this, and you need to reckon both at the same time. You can't just reckon one without the other. They, it's like a seesaw. It, you're going to have one or the other. And when you, when you stop being mindful and focused on God and his presence in your life, guess what rises to the top? Something ugly that you're not supposed to have present in your life. Okay. This, does this sound familiar at all to anybody? Okay, good. It should. It's a dynamic that is real in every Christian's life. So, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire pure, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So as we begin here with true life, true life starts when you're a brand new baby Christian. It does, you, you don't you know, mature to a certain level, and then you get to start true life. It starts at the very, 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 very beginning. The day you get saved, true life starts. And you can enter into true life the moment you're born again. If you just embrace, there's a craving, there's a natural craving for the Word of God when you get born again that the Holy Spirit implants into your heart. And as a newborn baby, if you will embrace that and say, that's good, I'm going to go after that you'll start growing. It's what it, that's a promise right there. You're going to grow thereby. If you start craving this, this pure, wonderful, yummy milk of the Word of God, what he's telling you is um, you don't need to go to beginner believer class. The milk you need is right here. The milk you need is right here. You're a brand new believer. You go, oh, that Bible's too complicated for me. I just need someone to break it all down for me. Well, we all need somebody to break it down for us. That, that's why God gave us teachers in the church, okay? But, but that does not mean that you as a brand new baby Christian can't just read your Bible in the presence of the Lord and be, be edified, be strengthened, and start to grow. That, that's the promise. There is milk in here for you. Well, there's meat too, so, so don't think that it's all milk. There's milk and meat. 
But you need to believe what the Word of God says, that, that the milk you need as a brand new baby is right here for you. And, and, and what you need, God has given you what you need. Don't think that somehow you don't have what you need. If you're wrestling, you're struggling, you're floundering right now, you're going, I don't have what I need. Yes, you do. You just need to embrace what God's given you and believe. If I can just tell you that uh, in my own wrestling match throughout my life as a Christian, as I've grown, don't think I haven't wrestled just like you do. We all wrestle. That's what it's about, man. It's a wrestling match. Okay? In my own wrestling match, I have found that the blockades and the barriers in my life were almost entirely due to my unbelief in what this book says. I'm reading stuff and I'm just reading past it and I'm not receiving what it says because it doesn't match my experience. And so I go, well, I just don't understand that. So I'm going to leave that behind and go on to something else. Hey, stop where you are when you get in that situation and go, maybe this is telling me something I need to hear and I'm not believing it and that's why I don't understand it. I often say, the Bible is not mainly hard to understand. It really isn't. There are parts of it that are hard to understand, but the stuff that really matters for your life and your faith is not hard to understand. It's just hard to believe. Okay? So if... If you will take it at what it says, you know, what it's saying, sometimes it just smacks you right in the head. You're like, man, that's just too hard to believe because I am wrestling with this and it doesn't look like what it's saying in that book. (laughs) We've all been there. I have been there many, many times. There was a time early in my Christian walk when I was floundering and struggling with sin and I was doing everything I could to try to break it off in my life and I couldn't. And it was so frustrating. And I was crying out to God, like Paul does at the end of Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? That's where I was. And I kept, you know, arguing with God about it. Why do all these other people seem to be able to do this and I don't? What's wrong with me? And God says, there's nothing wrong with you. Will you stop saying that? Keep reading. Get to Romans 8. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. It's all about the, the power of the... See, I'm, I was trying to do it myself and I wasn't believing. I, I was seeing, you know, I'm seeing this stuff that it says. Have you ever heard a preacher say, you do not need to be set free from sin. God has already set you free from sin. I used to hear, like I'd hear a preacher say that on the radio. I'd go, well, shut up. I do need to be set free from sin. You know, stop saying that. But he's telling you the truth. He really is. It's just our struggle is to believe it. That's the struggle. To stop believing that our experience trumps this. My experience is rooted in my flaws and failures as a human being and my lack of capacity or lack of willingness to believe the truth that contradicts my experience. There's a bit of spiritual pride involved here where I think that my experience is all-encompassing and therefore this should bend to my experience. Okay? And I'm the one who needs to change. I'm the one who needs to bend. I'm the one who needs to yield. I'm the one who needs to submit to what it says in this book. I need to submit my mind to it. My mind is mixed up. And this book is right. I'm wrong and this is right. I need to have that fundamental assumption when I come to this book. The book is right, I'm wrong. And humble myself 
before Almighty God and let him teach me. I can't be taught as long as I'm arguing with God and saying it's not right. There's something wrong with me. Right? Okay. So we start with God's word. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. That you may grow thereby. You cannot grow without a craving for God's word that you constantly give into. You know, sometimes we have cravings that we resist. When you're not reading and consuming the word of God constantly, there is a craving in you, but you're, you're resisting it. And you know, if this was about Mexican food instead of God's word, I'd be golden. I crave Mexican food all the time. I love giving in to that craving. But I have a secret. There are times when Mexican food doesn't appeal to me. You know when that is? When I'm already full. Sometimes, you know, they keep bringing chips and salsa and queso and I get so full of chips, I don't crave the real food that I went to that restaurant for in the first place. I'm just full of other stuff. And that can happen with God's word. If you fill up on spiritual junk food, you know, TV and movies and video games and sports, we have so much stuff to stimulate us and to be exciting. I, I think that the, the quality of stimulus on TV, on cable TV, and on all these different channels has risen dramatically in the last five years compared to what was... So there's, there are so many ways that you can just get intrigued by something. Okay? So, wow, I never thought of that. Wow, that's so interesting. I just want to watch every single episode. I think I'll just binge. I think I will just sit in my living room and watch episode after episode after. I'm going to spend the whole weekend and just do nothing but watch this. There's eight episodes. I mean, there's eight years of this in Netflix. I'll, I'm just going to watch all eight years. And we wonder why we're not hungry for God's word. We're stuffed full of other stuff. That's not God's word. I'm not saying that that stuff is awful or sinful. Maybe some of it is. I don't know what you're watching, okay? Some of it is. But I'm just saying, if you ate like that in real life, you'd weigh 500 pounds. Okay? What do you do? Because you can look in the mirror and see what your diet is doing to you, and so you self-regulate, right? You go, okay, I'm going to cut back on that a little bit because I'm getting... I'm getting out of bounds on where I want to be physically. Right? Where's the spiritual feedback? It shows up in whether you're living true life or not. It shows up in what, how you're living. And we, we wonder why I'm wrestling with all this stuff. Well, what I recommend to people is a me, what I call a media fast. Pick a time like a month, say. It's typical in our family. We do this on a regular basis. It's just a maintenance thing for us. Just like I say, for a month, we're going to do no media. And no media means not only no TV, no movies. It means we're not going to listen to secular music. We're not, um, by the way, I'm not, I'm not condemning secular music at all. It can be, it can be great, okay? I'm just saying we, we're purposely trying to Take a time window and say, let's just focus on our hunger for God right now. Okay? So cut it out. Cut that out. Cut out uh, computer. Cut out Facebook. Cut out um, video games. Everything. I'm going to reduce it down 
I'm going to starve myself on other stimulus and see what happens in my heart. And I'm going to get up every morning intentionally to focus on the Lord and just see what happens and see how God transforms your life. Okay? Open your Bible, start reading, think about what you're reading, ask God about it, listen to what he says, do whatever he tells you to do. That's the normal dynamic of spending time with God in his word. Okay? And whenever you open your Bible, pay close attention to God's presence. Don't lose track of the fact God is right there with you the whole time. A true life is about aligning your heart with Jesus so you can live for Jesus and live for the people Jesus died for. And God's word is one of your main heart aligners. Verse 4. It says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Amen. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In other words, no one can actually keep Jesus from being and doing everything that he is and he's committed to do. All we can do by resisting him is leave ourselves out of what God is doing. Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, everyone in this room that's listening, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to how God has elevated us from where we were. He's speaking very grand and awesome and wonderful things of privilege over you in the word of God. You are much more significant in the universe than you think you are as a child of God. We say the word, the phrase child of God so easily and so flippantly without sometimes comprehending the impact of the words that we're saying. What does it mean to be a child of God? Do you know who God is? Is there anyone higher than him? What does it mean to be his son? or his daughter. It means a lot. It's, it, it, that is a place, ultimately, in eternity that is higher than the angels. You think angels are high. Your destiny is to be higher. Right now, we're under supervision until we graduate. Like a, like a child who is the master of the state, who has servants who are his his. Uh, you know, tutors and, and stewards who take care of his life and he has to obey them until he gets old enough when he takes over and then they're under him. That's who you are. You're, the, you're one of the masters of the estate. You just haven't graduated yet. You haven't grown up all the way and that won't happen until we see Jesus face to face. Understand who you are, okay? And, and this is speaking of that elevation here that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You're special in a, in a way that God wants you to grasp. Don't run yourself down because God is not running you down. Why? That you may proclaim the praises, and praises is a key 
word in this passage, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people. We once were not a people, but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What privilege we have. So true life looks like a hunger for God's word, and true life also looks like a commitment to corporate praise and worship. That's what that passage we just read is all about, if you didn't catch that going through. Are you committed to a lifestyle of corporate worship? Corporate worship is what we do in here from 10 to 10.30 every Sunday. If you, that, that, that's what we do here at Hill City. And, and notice that this room that we're in right now, it's called the worship center. It's not called the preaching center. Even though maybe we spend a little more time preaching than we do in the actual worship part of the service, we, we refer to this room as the worship center. We put a high priority on worship. And we should, because the scripture puts a high priority. Read Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. We say, uh, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look what they're doing in heaven. Revelation 4 and 5. There is such a high priority in heaven on worship. And if we knew what they knew, we would have just as high a priority on it on earth. That his will would be done here the way it's being done in heaven. There are two main portions of our service, worship and teaching. Teaching is for you to receive. God wants to bless you with good, solid teaching. God loves you. He wants to strengthen you and build you up. But worship, worship is for God. It says in verse 5 that what we're doing in worship is offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We get together in this room and we begin to sing to God. We are collectively offering that worship before the very presence of God. The Bible says God is present with us while we are worshiping in the name of Jesus. Why is he present? He is present to receive the sacrifice that we are offering him together. I want you to get this revelation because you may not have gotten it yet but it's all through scripture. We are worshiping in his presence and he is present to receive that offering, that sacrifice that we are giving him. That is what worship is all about. That is why we're here doing it. That's why we spend 30 minutes instead of 10 minutes doing worship because he's worthy. He deserves it. So, when we're still spiritual babies, it's kind of okay to mostly receive. In, in the real world, babies, that's what they do, right? They're, they're not like getting up and mowing the lawn. We need the lawn mowed. Can, uh, you know, Rachel's baby, Joseph, get out there and please mow the lawn for us? No, he's not going to do that, right? Babies don't do that. But as we grow and mature, we embrace the importance and joy of ministering back to the Lord. Maybe we can't do it so much or so well as a baby, but as we grow, we begin to do that because we realize, oh, that's part of the package. God blesses us, we bless God. And that's what corporate worship is. It's a blessing of the Lord. It's ministry to the Lord. Did you know you can minister to the Lord? It says that in the book of Acts. I forget which chapter, but you know, Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the guys were ministering to the Lord. What were they doing? They were worshiping. 
That's what that is. Verse 5 really puts the focus on corporate worship. It's basically saying, go to church every week and worship God together with a bunch of other people. Verse 5 says, you're living stones. So I'm a stone. You're a stone. The guy next to you is a stone. We're all stones that are alive. Okay, so that's funny because you imagine a building made out of a bunch of living stones with legs and arms and mouths and everything. And, and you, you build a building and then they all jump up and run away. It's like, what happened to my building? The stones, you know, didn't stay where I put them. You know, are you a surrendered stone or are you a stone with a mind of its own? Okay, you know, God is building a house in order for this sacrifice to go up. Are you taking your place in that house? Are you part of what God, God is doing it, but we have the ability to decide to do something else. Remember, there's true life and there's something that's not true life. And true life is when we surrender to what God is doing and say, what God has called me to is good. I want to be part of it. And then we can go, well, you know, I don't enjoy that very much. It's not really doing a lot for me. So I'm not going to put a high priority to that. Um, I'll just kind of get here whenever I do. Maybe I'll get in. Maybe I won't. But at least I'll make sure I get here for the teaching because that's for me. Think about it. Okay? Think about that. The reason we worship, two reasons are given here. First, because he's worthy, verse 6. He's the chief cornerstone, elect and precious, talking about his great worth, his great value. He deserves to be worshipped. It's his right. It's his due. We owe it to him. He sent his son to die for you. Okay? We owe it to him, right? Second, verses 9 and 10, is because we're grateful. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He made us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Okay? So he's worth it. He's worthy of it. And second, we're grateful to him for what he has done. You see how there are two different things? His worthiness is about who he is. The gratefulness is about what he's done. And both qualify him for worship. And both should motivate us to worship him. The key to being committed to worship is setting a high value on it. I've noticed people don't do things that they don't value. People don't commit themselves to things that they don't value. People don't spend their time on things that they don't value. If you're struggling with worship, it's about your heart valuing that worship. So first we need to understand worship is not for me. It's not for me. It's for God. So even though we put a lot of effort into making worship enjoyable for you, we really do. We work hard to make worship enjoyable for you. But that's not the point. Okay? Don't think because we put so much effort into making it enjoyable for you that the point of worship is for it to be enjoyable for you. It's not. Okay? We're doing that as an icing on the cake thing. That is not the heart of worship at all. It has, actually has nothing to do with it. Whether we enjoy it or not is beside the point. It's about God. It's for him. It's not for us. So even if you don't like it, you still need to be committed to it. Because you were made to worship God. You were made to do this. Worship is built into your being by God. If you don't worship God, you're going to worship something else. Did you know that? You're going to. You're going to worship something. And we need to focus that worshiping part of our being on God so we don't 
fall into idolatry. Not only because he deserves it, but also because your heart's going to go astray if you don't commit to it. And even though worship is for God, it still impacts you because we are transformed simply by being in his presence. And transformation matters because true life is about aligning your heart with Jesus so you can live for Jesus and live for the people Jesus died for. Worshiping God in his presence isn't just the right thing to do. It realigns your heart because you're in his presence. Verse 11, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Notice that the, the fleshly lusts that we all wrestle with from time to time are actually warring against your soul. Sometimes we can get the misconception that the reason I need to not do this is because God will get mad at me if I do it. That is not the reason. The reason you need to not do it is because it is literally warring against your soul. It's for your benefit, ultimately, that God wants to cut this off in your life. He is setting you free from sin. You. He's setting you free from sin because sin will drag you down and corrupt you and generate death in your life. It's warring against your soul. And you'd feel it in your soul when you're walking in things you're not supposed to walk in. You know, this is war. I feel it. Oh, it hurts. I don't want this. I don't like this. It's war. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Isn't it sad when we see Christian leaders doing evil in the public eye and bringing disrepute on the name of Christ? That should never be. It should be the opposite. They should be seeing your good deeds and glorifying God. Even if they don't believe in him, they should be going, wow. You know, I, that maybe they don't believe in God at all, but they say, but, but I believe something good is going on there. And so true life looks like a commitment, commitment to God's word and a commitment to corporate worship. And then it looks like a commitment to not doing evil, but doing good instead. Um, it says in verse 11, abstain from fleshly lust. That includes every wrong desire, so it's not just sexual lust, although that's included. It's referring to basically every selfish impulse that's against God. So how do you do this? I've already been alluding throughout our message today to how we wrestle and struggle with this from time to time, right? So this is every human being's struggle. When you come into Christ, suddenly you're not happy in sin. And so when you wrestle with sin, you're not happy. You can't be because <laughs> your heart has been ruined for a sinful life. By the presence of Christ. Because he doesn't like it, basically. That's why. He doesn't like it, and he's in you. And so it's like, you know, twist you the wrong way whenever that's going on in your life. That's, a, that's, that's evidence that you know Christ. It, that it's dysfunctional, too, so it's not the way you're supposed to live. <laughs> but it is. I mean, don't, when, you, when you're feeling that, don't listen to the devil who says, you call yourself a Christian. That's the devil. Don't listen to that. Okay? Just, but just know that there's tremendous, awesome hope in God. There really is. This is not, I mean, you can walk out of here free today. You really can't. There's, there's no point in your life where you're in a situation where you're just trapped and you have to keep doing this. The key to beating any fleshly lust is walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a promise from God. It's a promise. Remember I talked about believing what the Word of God says. It's, it really is that simple. 
you don't beat the flesh by willpower. You beat it by walking in the spirit. And so God gave us a really powerful way to get trained in walking in the spirit and to build up our faith. You know what that is? It's called fasting in the spirit. It's simple. Pick a day you want to fast. Let's say, say uh, Wednesday. Say, I, I, I'm, I think I want to, it just works out for my schedule and everything that's going on in my life. Wednesday's a good day. So pray. Say, Holy Spirit, I feel like it'd be a It'd be good for me to fast on Wednesday and then ask this question. Do you agree with this plan, Holy Spirit? And will you empower me to do it? Will you be with me and bless this fast in the spirit? So I'm not fasting in the flesh. I don't want to fast in the flesh. I want to fast in you, in your power. Okay, you pray that. And then listen to what he says. When God says yes, it feels like a big hug from God. It feels like goosebumps and happiness inside. Okay, so when that washes over you, you know he's approving. And then what I found is when God is saying yes, he's really consistent. So you can keep asking the same question over and over and he'll keep answering. So God is the, you can communicate with God objectively and know that you're really hearing from God. What that does is it helps you to really believe what's going on. And that's the key to being successful is faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When God says yes, you're hearing from him his now word to you in the spirit. He's talking to you. So that is literally his word to you right now. He's saying, yes, I want you, I, I'm gonna be with you when you fast on Wednesday. I think it's a great idea. It, I think it's awesome. I think it's gonna be productive. It's gonna be a blessing for your life. Go for it. And I'll be right there with you, giving you power. Okay? So when God is saying that to you, then you go, all right, this is gonna be awesome. If you get nothing, keep talking and listening till you do get something. If you never get anything, no matter what, then come talk to us here at the church. You might need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because this is a dynamic of the Holy Spirit that's taking place when this is going on. But here's what's amazing. Since I started doing this, fasting is now easy. Because I have faith God is with me and he's going to empower me and he always does. He always does. It used to be hard. I used to get headaches and feel miserable. And that never happens now. A few days in, I hit this point where I've gone so long without food and it's so easy that I kind of get this little bit of delirium. It feels like a revelation. I'm like, I don't have to eat food at all anymore. I'm just like a food-free being now. I don't even need it. How many people think that's kind of weird? I think it's kind of weird. Every time I, this is weird. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason God encourages us to fast is because it, be, it gets you discipled in an experiential relationship with the Holy Spirit where you experience his power in a repeatable way that can't be faked. You can't fake going without food is easy. You can't fake that. There, I have done this in the flesh and it's miserable. And then I've done it in the spirit, and it's like, what was so hard about that? And so, so here's how this translates into victory in every area of your life. How many people know going without food for a long time is hard, almost impossible? Okay, not everybody knows that, but some of you know that. And yet the Holy Spirit has power residing in you to, to go without food almost indefinitely, a month or longer at a time. I mean, I've gone 40 days I'm not bragging about that because it's all God. It's all the, you can do the same thing. Anybody can do this in the spirit. It's really hard and miserable in yourself, but if you do it in the spirit, anybody can do it. It's 
not about me. It's, it's about him. And once you've experienced this power a few times, your faith in what he can do in, in you goes through the roof. What, what can he not do? Any, this, nothing, you know? The same power, though, resides in you for anything you want to abstain from. See, if I can abstain from food, what is there that I cannot abstain from through his power? So what do you want to abstain from? Smoking? No problem. Pornography? No problem. Alcohol? No problem. Develop faith in what the Holy Spirit can do in you by fasting in the Spirit, and then whatever it is, take the same approach. Holy Spirit, tomorrow I feel like it would be good for me to fast from cigarettes. Do you agree with this, with my plan? And will you empower me to do it? Will you be with me and bless this fast and enable me to fast in the Spirit and not in the flesh? And then listen to what he says. And treat it like a fast. Don't get bummed if you smoke again after 24 hours. Just keep growing in faith what the Holy Spirit can do. And work your way up to a 40-day fast of cigarettes. <laughs> and once you get to that point, there's no reason to stop fasting from it then, right? I'm, I'm saying anything. You can be free from anything. You can be free right now. Because it's not you, it's the Holy Spirit. You've been, if you're wrestling with it, it's been you And if you can learn to shift it to him and trust him, you'll be free. The freedom is already yours. It's just a matter of believing and walking with him in it. Verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And so now we move on to community. True life starts with your spiritual life because that's how you align your heart with Jesus so you can live for Jesus and live for the people Jesus died for. But once you have the right priorities on the word and worship and abstaining from fleshly lust, now we're able to, to, to live right in our community. You don't put that first. You put the, the spiritual connection to God first. And that simply means obey the law, honor the rulers. Here it says king, because that's who they had for a ruler. For us, it means the mayor, the city council, police, governor, judges, state and federal legislature, the president. It's all those guys. Honor them. This section starts with the word submit. And the idea is don't grit your teeth and obey and honor the government. Do it with a submitted heart with a genuine desire to be a good citizen and get along with your own government, which requires grace. All of this requires grace. That's why the title is True Grace, True Life. Not grit your teeth, true life. If you're struggling with it, bring it to the Lord, just like we did our fleshly lusts. The Holy Spirit will give you power as he aligns your heart with the heart of Jesus. And it says, honor all people. Relating in a right way to your community means honor everyone. We have a wonderful city in Denton full of eclectic, eccentric people. And this is saying, be respectful and honoring to everyone, no matter how weird they might seem to you. Guess what? You probably seem weird to them. So it's okay, right? The person you choose to honor today might be someone God's bringing to faith in Jesus. So just honor everybody. Verse 13, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, boy, I would have a hard time if my boss beat me, but (laughs) you take it patiently. 
But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable for God. So this is gonna, we're going to be talking about, for, for a brief moment here, about your career and your boss, your work. And just take it in context to what Paul is saying here. He's, he's talking to people who would get beaten by their masters when they didn't think that they were doing right. And you are never going to be in that situation. And sometimes we wrestle with having a right attitude toward our employer. But look at what Peter was talking to them about a much more harsh and difficult work environment than you will ever face. And he was saying, even in that, be honoring and submissive to your boss. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. That's a great scripture. I can't spend any time on it this morning, but just know that that's there in your Bible. By the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. There's healing in the redemptive work that Jesus did at the cross of Calvary. Just like you're saved by grace, you're healed by grace, by the work of Christ. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So, so finally, we have your career. If you, if you have an employer or boss, from a biblical perspective, they're your master. And the blessing is they can't beat you. And if you have a terrible boss, you can go interview for another job. You're not a slave, praise the Lord. But for as long as you are working for your current employer, you're to be submissive to your boss and your employer with all fear. This fear means respect and honor is unto the Lord. The way you relate to your boss, Jesus receives it as unto him. And so keep in mind the Lord the whole time that you're working for whoever this is that you're working for. Keep in mind that it's not because they deserve it, it's because Jesus deserves it. And so this means being careful to follow their policies, understand their goals for their business, and seek to fulfill them, and be honest and diligent in how you spend your time and in every way you can be an outstanding employee. God wants you to be an outstanding employee no matter how they act as a boss. So true life looks like true spiritual life, having the right priority on the word and on worship and abstaining from fleshly lusts. It looks like community life, submitting to your government, honoring your rulers and everyone in your community. And it looks like career life, submitting to your boss and your employee and being an outstanding employee no matter what. And God's word says, don't live a false life as a Christian. Live the true life that reflects the power of God's grace and God's spirit within you. Let's stand up. The sin problem has already been solved by his sacrifice on the cross for you. So our prayer teams are here and I want to encourage you. We're talking about true life. So if there's something in your own life that's out of whack with what we said today, come and pray with us. And we believe that God is going to set you free today. Come and pray. We're going to lay hands on you. We're going to call on God. We're, if you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we'll pray for that. Whatever, whatever you need today. But don't walk out the door and forget what you heard today. Because God wants to do a work. God wants to get you on the right track with true life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us that you have redeemed us, that you've given us grace upon grace, 
overflowing, abundant, more than we could ask, think, or imagine. As we're here in your presence, we know that you're doing a work. And I just want to say yes to that work in Jesus' name. Lord, fulfill your word in the hearts and lives of your people today in Jesus' name. We commit it to you. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.